Hi everyone and welcome to the Gradcracker and Mewburn Ellis webinar. Today we're delighted to be able to give you a behind the scenes view into a leading intellectual property or IP firm and guide you through what a career as a patent attorney involves. Intellectual property and a career as a patent attorney is a less well-known career route for STEM students, but it really is a fascinating sector where you can be at the forefront of so many different technologies, working across a vibrant range of clients and industries. It's a particular area of focus for me, and on Gradcracker, I look after all of the companies in this sector. This is why I'm so excited to be able to hold this webinar with me and Ellis today, to educate even more STEM students in the career options in IP. I'm joined today by my colleague, Jessica, who you will all recognize, um, as well as the panel from Euben Ellis, who are one of Europe's top specialist intellectual property firms. Firstly, we have Andy Whitlock, who is the resourcing and talent manager from Euben Ellis, and Andy and I work really closely together. Um, we have worked really hard to make sure that the Euben Ellis Gradcracker Hub has all the information that you need about how to become a patent attorney, and what it's really like to train and work at Euben Ellis. So remember to head there after the webinar today. I'm going to hand over to Andy shortly um, to give you an introduction to Euben Ellis and what a patent attorney is, but first let's briefly meet the rest of the panel. We're also joined by Isabel Stone, who's based in Cambridge, and Anna Mudge, who's based in Manchester. They're both fully qualified patent attorneys who joined the firm in 2015, and they're going to give us a great insight into the training to become an attorney and what life is like at Mubin Ellis. Isabel works in the engineering practice, and Anna works in the life sciences area. We're also joined by Sam Bailey, who's based in Bristol, if you can't tell by his background, who is a partner at the firm and has been there for 18 years. He works in the chemistry practice area and Sam is going to be able to help you to really understand how a patent firm works. So Andy, to kick things off, what is a patent attorney? Uh, thanks Sophie. Um, yeah, before, before I start, just uh, want to say a big, big thanks to Gradcracker for having us on today. Um, it's, it's a great opportunity for us to highlight the IP profession to, uh, to STEM grads. Um, and obviously tell our story of, of Mubo and Alice. So what is a patent attorney? Um, well, we'll start with a patent. So a patent um, seeks to protect an invention um, and it also gives the inventor the right to, um, to prevent other people from selling or using that invention. Um, so that's one form of intellectual property. And I think we'll, we'll, talk, we'll touch on other forms as well. So that's a patent. A patent attorney is essentially the person who applies for a patent on behalf of the inventor. Um, now, the reason you need um, a STEM background is because as a patent attorney, you need to understand the science behind the invention that you seek to protect. Fantastic. Um, so who are you, Ben Ellis? Can you give us an overview of the firm itself, Andy? Yeah, sure. So um, we were founded over 150 years ago, so we've got really strong roots in the past. But as a progressive firm, um, we are, we've got a clear kind of people focus. Um, so we've got flexible working practices, a number of well-being initiatives, um, one being yoga, which I'm still a little bit in pain from, from the last session. Um, <laughs> We, uh, we've got approachable partners throughout the firm um, and we, we, we've got a really strong commitment to giving back to the, the communities that, that we operate in. So we'll touch on, on that a little bit later as well. Um, so in terms of um, our size, so recently we've, we've grown really significantly. So over the last three years, 
um, we've grown by 50%. So we're now at 280 people across our five offices. Um, we've got four UK offices and one in Munich. Um, and as, as you said in your introduction, we're one of the largest UK firms. Um, I think part of the reason we've been able to grow um, so successfully is down to our industry leading training program, um, which we are obviously gonna talk about um, shortly. Um, but there's a, a lot of kind of unique aspects to that training program. Um, and as a trainee, you would join us, you would spend significant time over your first three years with senior partners within the firm. And you do that across one of our four um, UK offices. So London, Manchester, Cambridge, or Bristol. Um, and you'd be involved in that, that office rotation. Um, so the reason we, we have that, um, again, we'll, we'll kind of explain in a bit, um, but there's numerous benefits to the trainees, but also to the culture of, of the firm um, as well. Great stuff. And um, you've kind of touched upon the training programme that you offer at Mubin Ellis, um, but what roles specifically do you have that are available for STEM students and graduates? Okay, so we've got, um, we've got 12 vacancies uh, this year, um, and they're across all of our scientific disciplines and, and specialisms. So at Mubin Ellis, we, we, um, we divide those specialisms into what we call practice groups. So we've got three practice groups. Um, we've got life sciences, which includes uh, bioinformatics, biology, um, biotech. We've got chemistry, which includes material science. And we've got the engineering practice group, um, which incorporates uh, physicists, uh, engineers of lots of different um, disciplines, uh, including electrical, electronic technology. Um, and yeah, so on the, on the hub um, itself, the Gradcracker hub, we've got our different vacancies listed and, and lots of information about those, the, the, the differences between um, the, the practice groups themselves. Um, so I would encourage people to, uh, to take a look at the, the hub. Fantastic. Thanks, Andy. And we're going to find out more um, towards the end of the webinar about yeah. your kind of tips for the application process and how, how that all works. Um, and we are going to be finding more, um, out more details um, when we're talking to Isabel and Anna about the training scheme itself. Um, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to head over to Sam, um, who's going to be able to give us a really good overview of 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 Ruben Ellis and the sort of areas they cover. So Sam, if you could start by um, telling us the, the areas of intellectual property that Muben Ellis covers as a firm. Okay, yeah. So we're, we're a private firm of intellectual property attorneys. We cover, well, all areas of intellectual property, but, but not other areas of law. So we're just intellectual property. So we don't cover anything about criminal law or tax law or any of that sort of stuff that you might expect from big law firms. Um, most of our work is in uh, either patents, which look, as Andy said, to protect an invention, new invention, or trademarks, which look to protect a brand. Um, but we also cover other other intellectual property rights, um, industrial designs, which, which protect the, the appearance of something, um, and then copyright and trade secrets and those sort of things uh, as well. And we get involved at all stages of these. So obtaining them for people um, and also enforcing them. So enforcing them against other people and defending our clients when they're enforced against our clients. Um, and the, the bit that is really relevant for STEM grads is, is the patent attorney part, because that's where you need the, the science background to understand the, the new, new inventions. 
um, the trademarks and the industrial designs and those sort of things, uh, the STEM background isn't a necessity, although it, 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 those, those routes are totally open to STEM grads. Um, but the, it, the patents are where the, the STEM qualifications are really vital. Yeah. So you must have a STEM degree background to be a patent attorney. That's right, isn't it, Sam? Yeah, that's right. Um, so you have to have, um, in order to become, a, to get on the register, basically, to qualify as a European patent attorney, you, you must have a STEM degree. Um, and that's a requirement to get on the, set by the European Patent Office. Um, so what you'll find is that is um, patent attorney firms and IP firms will recruit people for uh, patent attorney jobs um, who have a STEM background, yeah, STEM degree. Great. Um, and also when you're talking about um, the type of um, the inventions and things like that, they could be from an individual or it could be a company that, that, that you're working with as well. That's right as well. Yeah, that's right. So we, we do, um, in essence, we're, well, we're, we're sort of a, a service provider, if you like, um, and we provide that service to individuals, uh, so or, or small companies, people people who have new inventions, but also a lot of our clients are medium and large size companies who have uh, inventions that they've made in house, and they then use us to get the protection um, uh, to to get the protection under the patent system um, in Europe or in the UK. Great. And in the run-up to the webinar, you gave us a really good overview of what the role of an intellectual property firm was and what you actually really do on behalf of your clients. So could you give our audience a bit of an overview of kind of start to finish briefly of how that system works? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so, uh, well, we are, we're sort of the middleman, if you like, between um, the patent office and the inventor. So we have specialist legal knowledge and skills in the process and the law for obtaining these intellectual property rights and then using them when they're granted. Mm -hmm. And so the, an inventor who has a new invention um, will, will come to us and that might be an individual or a company, as you say, they'll come to us and we then go through the process of writing the patent application. That's a, a technical document. Um, and you have to write into it uh, all sorts of sort of fallback positions. You write it in a certain way um, that means that it's easier when you're coming to discuss with the patent office about why it should be given a patent. Um, and also it means that it, it, it's harder for other people to work around it. So that, that's part of the skill of our job. Mm -hmm. And then we do the um, discussion with the patent office and in some cases argument with the patent office about why it should be given a patent. Um, and the patent office is the government department and they're separate. They, they, are the department to decide whether or not a patent should be granted. Um, so a big part of our job, most of our job, is understanding technically tricky stuff that inventors might tell us, um, and then using that to argue with the patent office about uh, why why our client should be given a patent. Um, so that that's where we are. There's there, there's also a sort of separate strand, if you like, of a patent attorney profession, which is in-house attorneys. So they sit, larger companies will have enough inventions basically that they it's worth their while having their own patent attorneys work for them. Yeah. Um, and so that that's another patent attorney role. The training and, and career progression is, is largely the same. Um, the qualifications are the same. 
but they basically will work only on the inventions coming out of that company. Um, and they will work, in essence, their client is that company, whereas our clients are lots of different people who come to us. Okay, and um, with the patents that themselves, how long do, will that typically last? It's not forever, is it? It could be a defined period of time. Yeah, that's right. So um, the whole process to get a patent takes quite a long time. So that from start to finish can be two, three years, maybe even more. Um, so it can take quite a long time to get these things actually granted. Um, the there are, there are also usually periods in that time of often many months when somebody else in the process is doing something. So, so there's nothing for us to do. Um, so it's quite quiet on those particular cases. And, th and that means that we work on lots of live cases at the same time. So we're not just working on one patent application, see it through, get it granted, and then work on the next one. Yeah. Um, we're often working on a large number. I mean, in, in some cases, hundreds at a time of live cases. And on any day, something might happen on, on one of those cases, and it might be something that takes you 10 minutes to, to deal with, or it might be something that takes you a couple of days to deal with. Um, uh, and that, that is great because it gives a good variety of work in any, on any sort of given day. Um, and then, as you say, the patent itself, once it's granted, it lasts for 20 years. So that's, there's a sort of set period. Um, and after that, the, it's free for the public to use. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So that twenty, the patent gives them that protection for twenty years for exclusivity on that on that invention. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Um, what I'm going to do next is I'm going to do a, a quick misconception round. Um, it was great to hear kind of the overview there of of how the firm works, um, and I think you touched upon something that that's quite important there as well, Sam, about. Um, the technical writing is really important in the patent profession. And when we yep. come towards the end of the webinar, Andy's going to talk to us about the application process that kind of does already bring those skills out at re a really early stage and, and kind of test those skills. Um, so just keep that in your mind as well you're, as you're watching the webinar. Um, but just to shoot on to the misconception round, because I do know that there's going to be a lot of people watching the webinar who either don't know anything about the profession or might know a little bit or might know a lot. Um, but I think there were a few things that we talked about as, as we ran up to the webinar that people often, you know, misconceive about, about what's going on in, in the industry. So um, if you can each tell me one of those questions that you often get asked um, or is assumed about the profession. So Isabel, we're going to start with you. Yeah, so I think um, one misconception that I've come across a couple of times is a lot of people think that you need to have um, a PhD to be a patent attorney, mm -hmm. or that firms prefer candidates who have PhDs when applying, but that's not necessarily the case. So I, I didn't do a PhD, I, I did an integrated master's, mm -hmm. and certainly at Muburn Ellis, we have a large number of attorneys who just have bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, we do have a lot who have PhDs as well, so both Anna and Sam do, um, but there's no real split between them. Um, and even if you did do a PhD, I think it's actually very rare that you'll end up working on cases that are on the very specific technical area that you'd focus on in your PhD, um, because we generally, as Sam mentioned, work across quite a broad range of technical fields on a day-to-day -day basis. So yeah, I just say don't feel like you will be disadvantaged if you don't have a PhD, because that's not the case. Great, thanks, Isabel. Um, Sam, over to you next. Uh, yeah, I suppose one that I kind of touched on in my overview is that we're part of the patent office. 
Um, so there's this idea that uh, we are patent examiners or part of, we work for the patent office. Um, so the patent office is the, is the government department that, that they're responsible for looking at what's known in a particular, particular technical area and deciding whether a new, new patent application should be granted a patent or not. Um, whereas our job is representing clients in the interactions with the patent office. So lots of arguing with the patent office about should this be given a, a patent or not and uh, understanding why something's different. So the, yeah, quite a common comment is when you say you're a patent attorney, because lots of people essentially don't know what the job is. Um, the comment is, oh, like Einstein. Um, and <laughs> Einstein did work for the patent office, but he wasn't a patent attorney. So he, he was he was on the patent office side, you see, and we are the patent attorneys and we do the arguing. So we did the arguing with Einstein rather than being Einstein. Okay, that's a good, good nod. That. <laughs> um, okay, Anna, and over to you. Yeah. Um, so one thing I got quite a lot from my friends and family when I started the job was um, they saw the word attorney and said, but you've never studied law. And that is something that I think is a quite a big misconception is that you have to have a law degree or even a, a law conversion course or something like that to be able to go into the profession. And you just don't need any background in law at all. Um, we've all got our science degrees, our STEM degrees, as mentioned, and we learn the law. Um, it's quite specific law. It's very intellectual property based law um, and we learn it as we work as, on the job through our day-to-day -day training and um, through some professional exams as well. Great um, and finally Andy over to you what is your misconception? Okay so I've been asked a couple of times by applicants um, who basically said well I haven't studied at Oxford or Cambridge so I'm probably not going to be successful as a, as a patent attorney. Um, and I think there's some sort of misconception that Oxbridge backgrounds are essential or um, sort of the route that, that a lot of uh, applications go down. Um, that, that is a, a complete misconception. And we've got a number of examples of trainees that have joined um, recently from um, St Andrews, we've had uh, Exeter, we've had Liverpool, Manchester, UCL, um, so a, a wide variety of kind of university backgrounds um, and part of the reason we've we've teamed up with yourselves at Gradcracker really is to kind of increase the exposure that, that the intellectual property profession gets yeah. Um, and yeah so you know our doors are open to, to all, all STEM grads from, from all of those universities really. Brilliant. Brilliant. What a great message. Yeah. I think um, that was something I was going to say if you didn't, Andy, you know, that's one of the reasons we, we started working together, wasn't it? Because I know it's a big thing for me, Benella, to make sure that you do get a massive breadth of candidates. And that's obviously what, what we do for you guys. Um, Okay, brilliant. So thank you so much for that kind of great introduction there to the profession and firm. Um, I'm going to hand over to Jessica now. Brilliant. Thank you, Sophie. <laughs> Uh, Isabel, I'm going to start with you if that's okay. So we're just going to do some introductions. So what did you study? Where did you go to when? Where did you go to university? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, I uh, have master's degrees. So I did a master's, just an integrated master's in natural sciences um, at, at Cambridge. Mm -hmm. So that's quite a broad science degree generally, but I specialised in material science for my third and fourth years. 
And after graduating, I applied to Mubern Ellis and started as a trainee in September 2015. And I qualified as a UK and European patent attorney last summer. And I'm now an associate in the engineering practice group, although sometimes I spread into the chemistry practice group a little bit um, <laughs> because materials is quite cross, cross subject area. Uh, and I'm based in our Cambridge office. Brilliant. That's quite interesting that you can do that then. You can kind of spread. Yeah. So I, I think as uh, Sam's alluded to before, you know, we work on cases for all types of different clients and it's it's relatively common for people to work across a relatively broad subject area range. So because materials kind of broaches the gap between engineering and chemistry, I quite often work on sort of more nominally chemistry cases as well as engineering cases but I do sit within the engineering practice group. Brilliant and can you tell me a bit more Isabel about your current role at Mubin Ellis? Uh, yep so because I'm uh, an associate that that means and because I'm now fully qualified I'm just at the point in my career where I'm starting to kind of take on my own caseload so we'll talk about the training later but when you're a trainee you basically work under a partner and work on cases that are sort of their cases and after you qualify you slowly build up your own caseload and your own clients um, to become a more independent attorney so that's where I'm kind of at at the moment. A bit of a question around that then so you know when in your role now when you obviously finding your own cases creating your own relationships and networks how does that work then so do you have to purposely go out and find these these kind of inventions these these companies or do they come to you naturally do you have to go out and find them uh so that i guess that's coming on to business development and how much of that we get involved in and, it, and it's a bit of both really i mean we do obviously do as a company quite a lot of business development work um, equally we do have people who fill in our online web form and come to us and say help I've got an invention and <laughs> I don't really know what to do with that so yeah as a company we, we do both brilliant good stuff thank you very much Isabel Anna handing over to you next same question so what did you study and where did you go to university yeah um so I went to Durham University um, I studied molecular biology and biochemistry, which was basically mostly biology with a bit of chemistry. Um, and I did a BSc in that to start with. And then I stayed at Durham and I did a PhD in sort of roughly plant cell biology. <laughs> but it, kind of, uh, it was kind of biology in general, I suppose. Um, I was looking at how um, plant roots grow, uh, how they know how long to grow them basically. Um, and like Isabel, I qualified last summer, fully qualified last summer as a UK and European patent attorney. Yeah. So I am also an associate and I work in the life sciences practice group. Fantastic. Good stuff. Um, so your current role now, um, how, tell us a bit about that and what, what's that all about in terms of your day-to-day -day kind of yeah, um, so as Sam and Isabel have alluded to, it's very varied. Um, mm -hmm. I'm starting to, like Isabel, get quite a lot of um, my own responsibility now yeah. um, with, you know, we've, we sort of know our stuff uh, now, we've qualified and although we're still learning um, bits and pieces, we uh, are able to kind of take responsibility for our own work. Yeah. Um, 
So I deal with several uh, different types of clients at the moment. I work with, for example, Manchester University quite closely and uh, inventions coming out of their academic labs. Yeah. Um, I also do quite a lot of work with a Boston based law firm in the USA. Okay. Very exciting. Um, and that's really picking up. And so they've started sending us quite a, a, like a lot of cases, uh, lots more applications to file. Um, and I currently do quite a lot of work in um, Singapore with companies in Singapore. And that's, um, I've got into that through the team that I work for in the Manchester office. Sorry, Steph, I'm going to pee slightly. But so how does that work then? So you, you both kind of inter in, uh, introduced yourself as a patent attorney in the UK and Europe. So how can you then do work in, within a, a, other countries like Singapore yeah. or America? How does that work? So um, patents are very country specific. Okay. And so when we work with um, companies in other countries, it's because they want patents in the UK and in Europe. Right. So we are working on behalf of them um, in uh, order to obtain their patents here. Um, but we also, it goes the other way as well. So some of our UK clients might want American patents or patents in China or Japan and things like that. And in that case, we then work with attorneys in those countries the reverse way and yeah. do it like that. That makes the, sense. The, the patent offices are quite... Um, territorial and they you, you have to so for the european patent office they insist that in order to be able to do the arguing on be, on behalf of clients you have to have passed the exams that mm -hmm. so show that you know you know what you talk you know what you're talking about yeah. um and you have to then if somebody in the us wants to get a patent in europe they won't have passed those exams they can't represent themselves or their clients in front of the european patent office so they have to use a european attorney um, and it's the same. We can't we can't f send things directly to the U.S. Patent Office. Um, right. They they just they wouldn't listen to us basically. Um, so we have to use a U.S. qualified patent attorney. So there is this sort of exchange of um, uh, of invention ideas basically mm -hmm. um, that that happens between especially a lot for us between the U.S. and Europe and Asia and Europe. There's both ways traffic both ways. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Very interesting. Um, so this is a question to Isabel, Anna and Sam. Um, what attracted you to a career in intellectual property? Yeah, so I think for me, I, as we already mentioned, I studied science at university, but I actually always knew that I never really wanted to go into research okay. work. So um, whilst I was at university, I looked at a lot of different options. So I spent one summer on the trading floor at RBS. I spent another summer doing sort of management and operational consultancy. And I found both of those things kind of interesting, mm -hmm. but I realized that I was really missing using my science knowledge on a day-to-day -day basis. So after I graduated, I spent a long time looking at different options because patent attorney wasn't something that I had really been aware of or hadn't even seriously considered uh, as a career option. Mm -hmm. And it kept kind of popping up whenever I did searches for things that use science but weren't based in a lab. And yeah. after I looked into a bit more, it kind of stood out to me as something that might be a really good option for me to allow the best use of my scientific background um, and my skills that I thought I had. Brilliant. Just want to interrupt there. So 
to any of the students that are listening now that have done any recent webinars with me and you know I'm talking to a lot of students at the moment about the importance of doing placements and you know getting experience because sometimes you can get work experience and you think actually I want to do something different now I want to do something different and it's so great to gain that experience because eventually that's going to take you on a path you didn't even realize you could end up on so uh, yeah. any of the students that are listening this is why Listen, because this is why it's so important to get work experience if you can. <laughs> Sorry, um, just wanted to put say that. Uh, Anna, you next. Yeah, so I guess kind of slightly the opposite starting point. I always thought I would end up in academia. Okay. Um, especially during my undergrad, I thought that's kind of where I was headed. Mm -hmm. And I went into my PhD because that was the sort of next logical step for that career. Mm -hmm and quickly realized that I didn't really want to do lab work <laughs> as my career. Um, and so I was looking around for, um, I suppose science related jobs, but that um, didn't involve any lab work. So I also didn't really fancy going into industry either, because, you know, a sort of research scientist in industry would still have that wet bench um, lab work. Um, and so I came across a career as a patent attorney and I thought that was, a nice mix of science, but also some business and commercial aspects as well, which I found interesting. Brilliant. And then ended up here. <laughs> Before you know it. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, same question yeah. to you. For me, it was the, the sort of security and the relative um, predictability of the career path that, that attracted me uh, compared to scientific research. So I, I did a PhD and I actually, I really enjoyed doing my PhD, loved it. Um, I think probably because I was one of the lucky ones who things actually, it, it worked. So I, I, got some, I got some good results, um, but, I, but I'm not one of the people who's a patent attorney now and says, oh, I always knew I didn't want to do lab work. Um, I, I would have carried on doing lab work it, it, if the career path had been a bit more secure and predictable. Um, but, but I felt that the career as a patent attorney was a nice balance because it 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 has a fairly um, well mapped out career path at least for the first five or six years of, of doing it um, and the the job security if you like is is quite high because companies invest three four five years in training you and largely they want to keep you um, if they've spent a lot of money and time training you they want to keep you in the and the um, so the the job security is much much higher and I felt that in academia I'd be chasing the next grant around you know every two or three years um, whereas this seemed to offer a nice way of using science and it's still learning more science um, but in a in a sort of more structured and and secure setting. Brilliant. Talking of training, uh, Isabel and Anna, can you describe the training program you undertook to become a fully qualified patent attorney, please? Isabel? Yeah, so most of the training to become a patent attorney is via our day-to-day -day job. So whilst you're training at any one time, you work under the supervision of a partner in your technical field. Mm -hmm. so as we mentioned before, Anna and I actually started at the same time in 2015, and we were both in the Cambridge office of New Ben Ellis, although we work in, worked for different partners because we work in different technical subject areas. Mm -hmm. So over my times of training, I rotated around three of our different offices. So I spent a year in Cambridge. I was followed by some time in London for a short university course you do as part of the training that I think Anna will mention shortly. 
uh, followed by eight months in Bristol, six months back in London. And finally, I settled in Cambridge about two years ago. So in each of those rotations, I was working with a different partner. Um, But I think the great thing about the job is that from day one, you're working on real cases for real clients. Um, Although you do have a lot of supervision with that at first, you know, all of your letters will get looked at very closely by the person that you're working with. I can imagine. So at Mubin Ellis, we always sit, the trainees sit near, so either in the same office, um, if you're in one of the offices that has personal offices, or if you're in one of the open plan offices, you sit near the partner that you're working for. So you do get a lot of direct exposure to the day-to-day work that partners in the firm are doing, so by hearing their phone calls and things like that whilst you're training. And as well as the kind of learning by doing side of the job, um, as Andy mentioned before, we have a really strong training programme at Mewburn Ellis. So we run a series of in-house tutorials throughout the whole of your first three years of training, and those cover all different aspects of the job. But other than the day-to-day training, um, there's a series of professional exams that you have to do as well to become qualified. So I think Anna was going to tell you a bit about her experiences with those. Yeah. Um, So as Isabel said, um, I started in the Cambridge office as well. Um, I was there for a year. So I did two uh, back-to-back rotations in that office, but moved uh, the partner I was working with. Um, I was then in London for a whole year and then I moved up to the Manchester office where I settled at that stage. Um, So periodically throughout the first sort of three to four years, we have um, professional exams to take. And these are sort of split between the UK patent attorney uh, qualifying exams and the European patent attorney qualifying exams. So they're two separate sets. And there's sort of four main uh, sets of exams that we have to go through, two for each qualification. Um, And the first ones that we did at Mewburn were the UK qualifications. And we can sit those a bit earlier than the uh, European ones. And so after we'd been uh, working for a year, we were sent on this uh, Queen Mary University course in London. And a lot of um, the major firms send their trainees on this course. And it's four months and sort of lecture-based type learning, along with some uh, written work to do as well. Mm -hmm. And I think with Newburn, at least, we were solely on that course. So we didn't do any client work um, for those four months. It was just, we were just able to concentrate on the university work. And there's exams at the end of that, and they are quite uh, familiar type of university exams, um, work essays, Um, and that exempted us from having to take the foundation exams for the UK qualification. So that's the other route that some firms also take. just after we'd been at the firm for two years, we took our UK final exams for the first time, mm-hmm. um, which are quite intense and quite practical based exams, um, still written, but they are testing your practical abilities to be a patent attorney, basically. Um, they're very hard and both Isabel and I managed to pick up um, some of them, but we both had uh, one or two resits to do the year after as well, which is extremely common. Um, 
And then a little bit later on in our training, we were entered for the European exams. And these have a, um, a requirement that you have to have been doing the job for, I think it's two and a half years to do the first set and then three and a half years to do the second set. So that's why they're a little bit later. Um, and they are slightly more straightforward than the UK exams. And um, we both passed all of ours first time and so ended up qualifying uh, last summer, um, which is about as quick as one can do it in terms of both qualifications. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not exams all the time. It's interspersed by normal working um, periods. And although there are some fairly intense revision <laughs> points, um, we are supported by the tutorials that Isabel mentioned earlier. So we have some external and internal uh, courses and tutorials. Oh, good, yeah. Um, and we also get study leave as well and support from the firm like that. It's nice to know as well, worst case scenario, if you did fail one, you can have the chance to reset as well. It's not like you fail and then you're out. You know, I guess that, you know, there's that support there. There is that chance again. You get a second chance. Yeah. And it is. How many chances do you get? I'm like, oh, it's my 10th go. Can I come again? <laughs> How many chances do you get? Joke, um, but I have met people generally not at Mewburn, but I have previously met people in the profession who have sat resat one of the exams, I think seven times. I oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. But it, it is very common for most people will fail and have to resit probably at least one of their professional exams. As Anna mentioned, both, both myself and Anna did fail at least one of our UK exams the first time around. So yeah, it, it is quite common and it's, uh, yeah, it's quite an expected thing, but hopefully you'll get through them. Yeah. It's, it's something that, that in the profession, the, the firms accept that that happens, that it's, that the exams are really tough. I mean, mm -hmm. the, probably 120-ish um, people take all four exams in, in any given year uh, mm. for the first time and probably less uh, less than a dozen will pass all four so almost almost everybody will fail at least one <laughs> or lots and lots of people will fail at least one and the, the nice thing is you, you, you sort of said oh it's nice that, that you get another chance there are some professions wh who use that um, th that first set of professional exams as kind of a, a selection process they say well if you don't get those you know oh, it kind of culls accountancy it's i think it's quite common that right. you know an early set of exams where you can't pass those you're not going to make it you're out and that's not the case with the patent attorney profession it, it those exams are known to be very difficult and um the, the 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 emphasis is more on doing the job well day to day um and if if that's the case then you pick up the skills to do the exams and, mm -hmm. and you'll get them um, but that, that's where the emphasis lies on doing the job properly rather than training to pass the exams necessary. Yeah, definitely. Um, we, you've kind of touched a bit um, upon it, uh, Anna, when you mentioned, and I think it was you as well as well, about you, the training programme, and it's quite unique, isn't it, to me, Benelis, in terms of like the office rotations. Um, just kind of circle around that a bit, you know, so what support do you get during these transitions What's the benefit? You know, why is it so good to kind of move around and work with different people? Yeah, so I think for me, one of the real key benefits of moving around is firstly, you, you just get to know everyone across the firm. So it really does feel like one collective firm and not 
five separate offices um, around the country and around Europe. Mm -hmm. So I, I know well and do work with partners who are based in different offices still, even though I'm settled in Cambridge now. And also, I think it's really great to have the opportunity to just try out living and working in different cities, because after my degree, I actually didn't think that I would end up back in Cambridge. I was sort of specifically looking initially for jobs not in Cambridge because I didn't think I wanted to come back here. Yeah. When I started with Mewburn, uh, it happened that the partners I was working for at the start were both based in Cambridge. So I was here for a year with my rotations and actually I realised that I did really like it here after all and so I've ended up back here in the end. Yeah, and another great point, again, everyone that's listening, you know, students ask me a lot, you know, about being flexible on location and it's so important to be flexible on location if you can, you know, the experience you get by being flexible, you know, could put you again on a different career path and I bet, Isabel, you didn't expect to be back in Cambridge or wanting to go back to Cambridge, but having done what you did, it put you on that path and you were, and I think it's great. So everyone listening, remember, be flexible. Um, Anna, I think you've got some more points around the rotation. Yeah, I mean, just picking up something that Isabel said, uh, I always thought I wanted to be in London when I graduated and I've ended up in Manchester. Yeah. So. There you are. <laughs> <laughs> a year in London was enough for me. Um, I found it was just so beneficial to be working with so many different partners and in so many different teams um, because each partner kind of looks after their own different clients. So these are different sizes of client, but also um, in different global locations, uh, working on different technologies. And each, each attorney, you know, they're all individuals, they all have a slightly different style of how they work and how they deal with clients. Mm -hmm. um, and by working with so many of them, during the rotations and it's not even just the person you're sat with that you work with in those offices you get to work with different people in those offices as well yeah you end up being such a better attorney at the end of that scheme because hopefully you can amalgamate all the good bits about how everyone works and become a sort of whole attorney of great skills <laughs> um and it also means that we keep those working relationships with those um, partners in other offices. And um, myself and Isabel, we still get work from people we worked with when we were training. And it's so good just for, I mean, collaboration firstly, but also for our um, workload. You know, we need the work to be able to um, just do our day jobs. And so that really helps add to uh, the amount of work that we have to do. Definitely. It's that network, and now by the sounds of it, you're tapping back into these networks all the time, aren't you? Ringing each other up, and mm -hmm. it's a great, great way to, to stay in contact with everyone. Um, Sam, have you got something to add to that? Uh, well, I'm so I'm one of the, the partners who runs this rotation scheme, um, and it, it's it's a scheme, we should say. It's, it's a scheme that I think is unique to us, to Mewburn. Um, so there are patent attorney firms out there, in fact, most, most if not all others who don't do this. Um, so it's not the only way to do it, but it's the way that we've chosen to do it for these reasons that Isabel and Anna have just explained. Um, the, in practice, what happens is the first three years of your time with us is split into these six month chunks, each with a different partner. And that when you move, it might be moving office location, or it might be just moving to somebody else in the same office. Um, and 
there's we're always often asked about how much choice and how much can you guide where you go and all that sort of thing um in that three years there's not much influence that you can that the the trainees can actually have about where they go and the reason really is just that there are so many people doing the rotation that if everybody had their their their, their choice the whole system would simply seize up and just wouldn't work um but on the flip side of it during that three years there's a a two-way discussion with the trainees about where um, they're going to end up and which office they're going to end up in and uh, quite often as as both Isabel and Anna have said they this changes during the, the training time so that and that can be accommodated because we can tweak the rotation system um, and from our point of view we can sort of say where the business opportunities are for that person and their technical skills and that sort of thing and where they might fit with a team um, and from the trainees point of view they can put forward all sorts of things like like where they just where they would prefer to be really um, might be that they particularly like a, a certain city or that they have family ties or a partner in, in uh, a certain city um, and during that time then we reach a decision between us about where they're going to where the trainee is going to settle um, and so during that time, you probably see three of our four UK-based offices. At the moment, we don't rotate people through our Munich office. Um, it might happen in the future, but at the moment, it, it, it doesn't. Um, and to, to kind of, I suppose, help that a bit, there's a package of help that we have um, that, that we've put in place that, that eases that rotation a bit. Um, there's some practical assistance about just a van to move your stuff around and some help finding accommodation and things like that um which is not always straightforward but but we can help with that because we've done it lots yeah. for other people um right. and then there's yeah. some financial assistance a bit of a bit of cash to make sure you're not out of pocket to, due to the rotation so that's good it's another good point there as well again students ask that a lot you know will i be will i help will will the employees help me with you know relocating and things like that so it's good to see that you offer that and there is that support there and yeah. um, just want to kind of tap back in really to the the company hub that you guys have got on grad cracker you know you've got a page which is called why work for us and uh, within the me Ellis company hub and it's full of everything we've just discussed here so the unique training program the office rotation scheme career progression and the commitment Muber and Ellis have to their people. There's so much information um, within the company hub. So after this session, if you are free to do so, make sure you go and have a look because um, it will tie everything together in terms of everything we've just discussed there regarding the training and the rotation scheme and everything. Um, I'm going to kind of round up um, with, with one question to, again, to you three, Isabel, Anna and Sam. Um, could you give one reason um, why our listeners should pursue a career in intellectual property? Oh, one reason why you should pursue a career in intellectual property. Well, I think for me, I think that it's a really intellectually stimulating job. And so every day you're dealing with different cases and different clients. And it sounds cliche to say it, but really no day is the same. So on any day, something can come in on one of your cases and it might be a really small thing, but you've got to deal with it straight away or it might be kind of a bigger piece of work. But um, it, it is different all the time. And I think one of my favorite things about the job as well is just the fact that I get to work on cases across a really broad range of technical fields. So I'm always learning about new technologies and innovations. And that's, that's really great. 
Brilliant. Anna? Uh, I really like working with so many different companies and institutions, universities, things like that, who are really working at the sort of cutting edge of what they're doing, because all this stuff that they're trying to patent, it's, it's new research and yeah. new inventions. And particularly for me in life sciences, a lot of it is um, innovative medicines and drugs and stuff that I can see that's really having, there's a clear kind of real world impact on them being able to protect these medicines and then commercialize them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I find that really rewarding to know that I'm sort of contributing to, to that. Yeah, really impressive. Sam? Uh, for me, I think the, there, there are a whole range of different option, career options, obviously, for, for STEM grads. But I think the patent attorney profession offers a really nice work-life balance. Um, it it means you, you do work hard, but essentially it's a regular office hours type desk job. Um, and there isn't a culture of being having to be seen to be in the office um, as much as possible and those sort of things, mm -hmm. which you do find in some, some professions. Um, so in essence, it's... A, it's normal office hours balanced with good rewards and good uh, financial rewards and good sort of lifestyle rewards, um, which, which is very, it's a nice way uh, to balance those two for a, in a science sort of setting. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Great. Just quickly touch, you mentioned obviously financial rewards. What would the typical salary be for a new graduate with the salaries are pretty good. They're, well, very good. Um, uh, a new entrant, into the profession, you're probably in the region of thirty to forty thousand wow. uh, to start. Yeah. Um, it depends on the firm. Different firms yeah. have different, slightly different, but that's the sort of range. Uh, qualified attorney, so five years in, something like that, four or five years in, up to maybe sixty-five, seventy-five thousand, and then partners in firms are a uh, hundred thousand plus normally, um, and can keep going. Yeah. Up, that, up that route so they're very it, the the rewards the financial rewards pure financial rewards are very good um and you know there are, there are big city jobs that will pay you more but will give you no time to spend it basically yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely brilliant well thank you very much guys uh so if i'm going to hand back to you before i steal any more of your time <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jess. It's been so interesting hearing from um, all of you guys as well. Um, there's so much more that we could talk to you guys about. I know, about. but I just want to keep so going. <laughs> but, um, so I think what I'm going to do is have a bit of a catch up with you guys after the webinar. Um, it'd be great to get some of the points that you told us about, like the key cases and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff um, onto the Grad Cracker Hub as well. So we'll work to do that after the webinar to make sure we've got all that info there. Yeah. Um, but now I'm going to head back to Andy. Um, so we can make sure you all know how to apply to the vacancies because I'm sure you're all going to want to rush off and do that now because I'm going to apply with you. So could you tell us, um, Andy, about the application process for your roles? Sure. So um, the best place to start would be to head over to the Grad Cracker Hub. I think we've probably plugged that quite a few times, but <laughs> it literally has all the information you need um, and the, the, uh, each vacancy listing has the application process itself. So um, we're, I suppose, relatively traditional in the sense of we ask for a CV, a cover letter, and there's an application form that, that we ask you to fill out. Um, but critically, there's, there's a couple of pieces of written work that I just wanted to touch on. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, drafting patent applications is such a 
such as a, a unique skill where you need to define and describe things using really clear, precise language that it's really important for us to, to kind of get that out of an application um, at the initial stage. So um, I am going to say out loud what the, the two written pieces are, but um, for further guidance, which you'll, you'll probably need, you know, I, I would recommend going over to the, um, to the hub. Um, so the first one is to describe a kitchen implement. And the second one is to um, define the essential characteristics of a pair of scissors. Um, but yeah, there's a little bit more guidance around um, the precise requirements of that. So yeah, take a look at, take a look at the hub. Um, but I'll leave that there for now. Um, in terms of the process itself, um, obviously there's that shortlisting stage where we look at all those, um, the, the four different um, things that you will have applied with. Um, and there's two interview stages. Um, so they're, they're both on VC at the moment. Um, and they both, across the two uh, stages, both really looking at testing that, that technical ability, those technical skills, um, in particular scientific areas and, and, um, and looking at the, the individual in that way. Um, also looking at people's motivations um, for applying. Um, and that's your opportunity really to show that you've researched, so that you've dug deep into the profession and you know that it's right for you. Um, and then again, touching on um, across those two stages, touching on those, that ability to define and um, describe. Mm -hmm. And what are the typical timescales for the recruitment process from, from kind of applying to getting that offer, Andy? Okay, so um, it does fluctuate, but on average, um, really across those three stages, we're, we're looking at um, on average one to two weeks per each stage. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're able to turn applications around really, really quickly at the moment. Um, and, you know, as a reaction to, to COVID, um, we've you know, we've got uh, two VC stages um, for, for our interviews. Um, I think that has allowed us to, to kind of, you know, the plus side is we, we can turn around applications really quickly. So end-to-end -end process is probably around a month on average at the moment. Um, and we look to where we can feedback to candidates if, you know, if they get through to an interview stage. Um, we want every candidate experience to be a positive one, you know, irrespective of where they get to. Um, so yeah, um, I think if it's feasible, if it's realistic and safe to do so, we might revert back to the second stage interview being in person. Um, but right now it's working really well, um, both of them being on VC. And when you say VC, you mean video conference, don't you, Andy? I do, yes, to clarify video. <laughs> Just to throw that in there, cool. Um, and finally, hints and tips. If you could give our audience some key hints and tips, what would they be to be successful in their applications? Okay, so um, research, um, you can't do too much research, I think. Um, hopefully today has given people an insight into the profession um, and uh, you know, what a patent attorney does. Mm -hmm. um, hearing from real life, living, breathing patent attorneys will, will, will help. Mm -hmm. um, but, but we, you know, read around the subjects, around the profession, make sure that um, you understand what it's about and, and are prepared for the training. And then make sure that those motivations come through in, in, in things like your cover letter. Um, on the written work, the application, I would just encourage you to take your time. Um, I think hopefully it's come across today that having an accurate use of, of, of language is really critical to the, to the patent attorney role. Um, so if there's 
grammatical errors or if you've copied and pasted and maybe put a different company name in your application, it's just not going to look good. Um, so really look out for that and take your time. Um, I would say, uh, you know, if the intellectual property profession is for you and, and, and you really think um, that's where you want to be headed and it's aligned with your career aspirations, then, you know, apply, apply wide and far. Uh, apply to us first, <laughs> but, but, but um, you know, uh, apply to other, uh, other firms and get as much experience and as much exposure to the, to the profession um, as you can really, you know, we, we don't hold that against people. Um, and then finally, if you do get through to an interview, hopefully today has, has given you an insight into Mewburn Ellis, we're not overly formal. Um, we want people to be as relaxed and, and bring their kind of best selves to, to, to the interview. So if you do get through to interview, just, just relax, be yourself. Um, and you know, we'll be assessing things, but we won't put you under lots and lots of pressure. Um, and best of luck if you do apply. Brilliant. Thank you so much um, to Andy, Isabel, Anna and Sam for joining us today. Um, I hope you've all found this webinar really useful and we'll be heading off to the Gradcracker Hub to apply. It's been so great for me to, to kind of get these things out in the open, things that I've been saying to students for, for ages um, and kind of promoting the IP profession, but to hear it from real life partner attorneys is, is fantastic. So I really hope that we've inspired some more students today. Um, as Andy said, right now we have the Mubin Ellis's trainee patent attorney vacancies open for applications in engineering and tech, life sciences and chemistry with opportunities in all of their UK offices. So that's Manchester, London, Cambridge and Bristol. Um, so remember that this webinar will be live um, tomorrow for you to rewatch and share with your friends on the Mubin Ellis Gradcracker Hub and also on the Gradcracker Career Centre. Um, so next week, I'm going to be taking a break from the webinars and Carla and Jessica will be joined by BT in OpenReach. So that's next Thursday, the 26th of November at 2pm. So we'll say bye for now and thank you again to Mubin Ellis. See you later. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye. -bye. bye.